Hi, welcome to SoupX Radio, a weekly talk show devoted to startup and early stage entrepreneurship, venture investing, and small businesses in general. You can find us in the iTunes Store and on SoundCloud by searching for SoupX Radio. That's S-U-P-X Radio. And also please remember to follow us on Twitter at the SoupX. That's at T-H-E-S-U-P-X. And same for Instagram. Uh, I'm your host, Bob Fitz, and our guest today is my friend Felicia Hatcher, who's the founder of Code Fever and Black Tech Week. Felicia, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Bob. So I'm really looking forward to talking about you know both Code Fever and Black Tech Week, but um, you've had a pretty cool career path and done some popsicles and some other <laughs> things. So uh, uh, maybe you could enlighten our audience, which is primarily startup and early stage entrepreneurs and angel VC investors. T- tell them a little bit about your your uh, your path to here. Sure, sure. Um, so I, I was a chief popsicle of a gourmet popsicle manufacturing company uh, based in, in Miami uh, for seven years. Uh, pri- and I literally fell into the business. Like I fell down chasing after an ice cream truck. And that was like my Oprah aha moment for starting the company. Uh, and it was really a marriage between like experiential marketing and food production and kind of putting those two things together. Uh, I worked in, in marketing um, and tech and experiential marketing prior to that. So I worked for Sony. Um, I worked for the NBA uh, as a front office marketing manager for the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lynx. Uh, I also work for uh, Nintendo as an experiential marketing uh, manager, launching campaigns and product launches for them. Uh, same thing with Sony. Uh, and then also McKee Foods, which m- most people don't know, but they're the family company that owns Little Debbie Snack Cakes. Uh, so very interesting uh, career. Uh, worked in ad- advertising for a little bit, worked in radio for a little bit, uh, lived in Minneapolis and didn't last long there as a Florida girl. Uh, with negative 30 degree windshield weather and I'm like it's time to go <laughs> <laughs> glad you weren't there last week huh <laughs> exactly exactly so it's uh but I uh, moved back to Florida to launch feverish and probably launched it one around one of the worst times to start a business but I didn't know any better and that was during the like the economic downturn of, of 2008 and uh, full food production company uh, really cool clients that we had from uh, Whole Foods to for, forever 21 and Sony um, as well as like Cadillac and just a, a really large roster, Airbnb, Google, and PayPal were all our clients as well that we did a lot of really cool custom uh, popsicles for, or we actually executed their marketing campaign kind of using our pops as promotional tools because we could do all kind of branding stuff with it from branding the sticks, the wrapper, the carts, branding our staff, uh, but then also injecting like their flavors or their ingredients or uh, their product itself into the pop. So we had a lot of fun with that uh, ship nationwide, all that fun stuff um, of the good, the bad, and the ugly of running a food business. I, I did that as well. And so out of curiosity, why'd you get out? Did you sell it? Did you uh, just shut it down? I mean, was there a market factor? And how long ago was that? Yeah, it was a, quite a few things. So we sold the company uh, back in 2015, okay. um, and it was a combination of a few things. Like we had took on some investors, and the relationship just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of going through that process, I just like I did not want to see a popsicle, right? Right. Like it was just such a hard experience for us, and we just fell out of love with it. And at that time, we had started Code Fever to train our employees. And I just felt like I put so much time and energy into that because it was like this release, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have to deal with like 
investors and litigation and like, you know, trying to keep clients happy while we were going through like this tough transition. And like code fever was just like this breath of fresh air. It was a way for us to train our employees at the time because we knew that they weren't going to be in popsicles forever. Um, we knew that we were just kind of dealing with a lot with, with feverish and we wanted to shore them up because they were young high school students. Um, and we knew what like tech did for uh, both of us, myself and my husband, Derek. So it was like a combination of so many different things. But at the end of the day, it was like, you know, I like I train a lot of entrepreneurs now and I kind of coach them and I'm like, you know, you, you kind of, you have a line that you refuse to cross, right? Um, when it comes to your business or you get to a point where you're not willing to like sacrifice what you have been sacrificing for this dream because sometimes a dream kind of turns into some sort of like nightmare mm-hmm. uh, and it was it was a it was all of those feelings wrapped into one so like after we got out of all the craziness with our investors uh, we ran the company for another two years but it just never felt the same and an opportunity came to sell and it wasn't a big sell uh, but an opportunity came to sell it and we were just like we, we want we want out so there's a lesson there probably about uh, selecting investors. I'm sure you might oh, be able to sell too. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I can go through a long list, Bob. That's probably a whole another podcast. That <laughs> well, we'll lead to that. <laughs> well, uh, uh, we may have you back on uh, to talk about just that. So, um, so that led to Code Fever, and it sounds like uh, it's important to you for what you're doing to be an outgrowth of your passion. That's what I'm hearing. Is that fair to say? It is. It is. Um, And from so many different standpoints, you know, like I can and like the programming that we have that is some part of Code Fever and what we've been able to do over the past four years. It it comes from a combination of a few things. You know, like I was one of those kids that like on paper, my grades sucked in high school, but I could like I taught myself how to code in high school and I could like rewire cable and all of those things. Right. Um, And just like this path that you like as a young person you find yourself on not really understanding what you're doing not realizing that I was like fully into tech but like all these people around me were telling me like I could never major in engineering because I was like a C student so part of like the reason we structured our curriculum and the way we run our program is for those students right the ones that are really really freaking smart um, but everyone around them just tells them that they're not, you know, because they may not necessarily fit into like the mold of traditional education or they just go to a crappy school or crappy people around them. There's so many things. So it's part that. And then it's also part like, you know, when we did get our investors and we were trying to negotiate our term sheet and like all these things that were foreign to us, we didn't have a network. You know, I didn't have anyone in my immediate family that I could lean on. You know, there was no there were no lawyers in my family. Like my dad has run a construction company for, you know, about 20 years and he's been an entrepreneur for 20 years and he couldn't really help me with what we were doing. And what and then honestly, like what we the opportunity that we had presented to us was so foreign to him as well. Like when I was in popsicles, right? And my parents never thought I would be in popsicles and they didn't fully understand it. So someone wanting to invest in a popsicle company, they didn't understand it. But there's so many things and resources that you need within arm's reach when you do get to that point. And my network was so limited in the resources and the people that I needed to have to guide me. So like both of those personal situations, among other things, are really the reasons why we started uh, Code Fever and the way we run it the way we do. And what is Code Fever? Yeah, so Code Fever is a nonprofit uh, that we founded, myself and my husband, um, four years ago in order to essentially rid communities of innovation deserts um, and specifically around minority communities or, um, you know, like targeted urban areas. 
And, you know, a lot of people are familiar with food deserts, right? Like there's like 26.2 million people across the United States that live in food deserts. They're disconnected from, um, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables or nutritional food that's within a short walking distance or driving distance. People have to travel like miles sometimes in order to be able to access this. So we are very familiar with food deserts. But like over 50 million people across the United States are economically distressed and disconnected from this kind of innovation economy and like this boom that is happening. And, and most of those communities happen to be communities um, where black and brown people live. And so that kind of, that became like our mission of trying to figure out like, how do we solve these problems? Like, how do we make sure that the accessibility is there, that the context is there, but most importantly, the, the training, the mentorship, the, the, the deal flow, like all of these things need to be in housed in these neighborhoods so that these neighborhoods can thrive and they can be active participants and financial beneficiaries of what's going on in the innovation economy and not just like service workers, right? Not like your handy cleaner or your Uber driver or your, you know, your Postmates delivery person, but people that understand like what's going on, how they can benefit from it, and how they can play a really active role. Um, like that's what Code Fever is. So we we started off as a like a coding and startup school for African American and Caribbean youth, and most of our work over the past three years um, has really been around ecosystem building. So you know Miami is one of the most diverse um, startup ecosystems in the state of Florida. Well, it is the the most diverse across the state. Um, and then arguably like one of the most across the East Coast. And that's largely in part of, with the work that we've done of just kind of shining light, um, telling the story in a different way, but then also just creating programs that become a magnet for um, African-American and Caribbean uh, people here um, to know where they can always find the, the resources from a training standpoint, from a mentorship standpoint, from the conferences and everything we do. And are you, uh, it's, you're obviously here in Miami, do you have other uh, locations yet or, or just here still? Yeah, so we have done, you know, over the past four years, we've done programming um, in a few different cities across the United States. Um, we mostly service the Tri-County area as our training program is concerned. Uh, Black Tech Week, like, literally brings in people from all over the globe to, the, to here, to Miami. And then for 2018, we're actually doing a, a 10 city tour uh, with Black Tech Weekend. So we created a scaled down version of our conference to take to some other cities that are kind of dealing with some of the same challenges that we were dealing with in Miami four years ago. Um, you know, of, like having a concentrated effort around building a startup ecosystem where like diversity and inclusion was not a part of the initial conversation. Um, and so some of those same cities that we're going to, they're dealing with that now. Um, and from what we've learned and kind of boxing up some of our best practices and then some, from, from some of the people around the globe, you know, bringing them to those cities in order to make sure that they are accelerating that. But then they understand like diversity and inclusion as it relates to tech and innovation and how impactful that can be to the bottom line of the co corporations and the startup scene there overall. So Code Fever is, is in its essence, a you know, code school for minorities primarily, and Black Tech Week is? Yeah, so Black Tech Week is everything I just said, right? So it's it's our national convening um, that... Uh, uh, of the ahead. Code Fever community, or it's a national, it's a national Black Tech Festival? 
Yeah, it's a it's a it's a festival. Um, it's a Black Tech Week festival, um, and it, it encompasses a lot, right? So that's why it's a whole week. Mm-hmm. Um, most times, at the conference, which is about two and a half days of the entire six days that we activate during that week, um, gets most of the attention. But there's so much, right? Because we wanted to create a a conference and an experience that could connect our community no matter where they are. So whether it's a senior citizen that wants to learn more about digital literacy or it's, you know, someone, uh, a startup founder just trying to raise an ICO, like an ICO, like whatever it is, like there's programming that takes place during that week. Uh, and so it's just been a phenomenal week. You know, we've had some really impressive speakers. Um, Michael Seibel from uh, Y Combinator, the CEO of Y Combinator was our opening keynote speaker last year. Uh, Roni Abovitz, the CEO of Magic Leap, was one of our speakers. Uh, the head of Latin American Music for Apple was a speaker last year. Um, you know, and just a ton of VCs, just really cool people doing cool stuff, but from really diverse backgrounds. And I think that's what like conferences should look like, right? Like you should have a really diverse representation of people that are doing things uh, from all walks of life that are are doing things around tech and being able to like celebrate innovators of color. So. Back to Code Fever, because we'll come back to Black Tech Week. Uh, in terms of Code Fever, uh, I mean, is it a traditional model? You have X number of cohorts a year. They're here in Miami. It's a, you know, 12-week-long program. Like, how does the actual program work? Yeah, so our so the Code Fever, our youth training program, works um, kind of like a traditional coding school, but it's a little bit different because the needs are a little bit different. Uh, and so we do about um, four to six actual cohorts a year, um, and that ranges between in-school, after-school, and then our summer programs. Mm -hmm. And then we run a lot of hackathons throughout the year and ideation sessions for organizations and corporations um, where our youth can actually play a role in helping them solve a problem, right? Um, Some of our students actually build out uh, platforms and solutions for corporations and organizations that we work with. So like right now, we're working on a really cool program with some student, middle school students from Miami-Dade County Schools in a partnership with the Adrian Arch Performing Arts Center. Um, and they're actually building out the platform for a Kitty Hawk program that they're launching. But we've also had our students um, build apps for like the Broward County Library System and be able to kind of do some really cool problem solving around that, um, build out things for, for um, small businesses in like the Overtown area, uh, a resource app for Liberty City, which is, you know, things that are like very Miami centric. But um, but then we also do digital literacy training programs, which is something that, you know, in the very beginning, when we first started our coding program, like everyone was so excited about coding. Right. It was like the hot thing. And we quickly realized for the population that we were serving that we almost had to we had to take a few steps back and have a huge concentration on digital literacy training, then being able to go into coding training and then some more advanced like languages. And, and so we do digital literacy training with Code Fever. We do our full stack de- development training. And then um, we also do training around like how to navigate startup ecosystems as, as a young person of color. Um, and so those are kind of like the three kind of pillars of the programming that we do uh, with, with Code Fever. So aside from Black Tech Week, which gives you a chance to educate people who come here from all over the world about Code Fever and other things and, and proselytize them in some ways, is there a 
you know, uh, is there a growth model for Code Fever to do this in other cities, establish chapters, franchise it, set up sister organizations? I mean, what's the plan for Code Fever itself? Yeah, so our, our plan for Code Fever, um, there's actually quite a few things. One, we just opened up a co-working and urban innovation lab in Overtown. Um, so like our expansion for Code Fever, uh, for us kind of moving forward, is also expanding like these kind of innovation spaces that live in black communities. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that programming would kind of duplicate as we duplicate more spaces in, in other cities, mm -hmm. um, one across the, the state of Florida, and then looking at some other cities um, nationally that we would be bringing both of those programs to. And then, uh, so that's probably a good chance to now turn our attention to Black Tech Week, which is coming up in what sixty days or something like that. Yeah, yes, less. Yeah, I wish it, I wish we still had sixty days, Bob. It's coming up in a little less than, than thirty days. It kicks off um, February sixth uh, through the through, through the eleventh here in Miami. Um, so yeah, we're all like gearing up for for that. It's it's a little crazy planning a conference, and you know this, right? You and your team know this very well, but. It's a, it's, if I had hair, my hair would be gone trying to plan a conference every year. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, a, it's a really fun time. Um, some really dynamic speakers that, that we have. Um, and then just some cool programming. And then just like that week is also cool because we marriage a lot of the programming that we do into that week. Mm -hmm. uh, so other kind of other people can experience it. And then the beauty of Black Tech Week is other organizations as well as our sponsors curate pro programming during the week as well under the umbrella of Black Tech Week. And, and so like a pitch competition that we're doing with Case Foundation, like that's really exciting. Um, we run a VC in residence program. Um, we just ended our last one last month uh, in December um, with Raul Mo, uh, Moes from AGP. And then prior to that, our VC in resident that we had was Marlon Nichols, uh, who used to be with Intel Capital and now runs Cross Culture Ventures. Uh, they've invested in Listener and Thrive and Wonder School and just a really, really awesome guy to be able to put a bunch of entrepreneurs in front of. And so we have our VC in residence track that's during Black Tech Week. Um, one of the VCs is Lisa Mitchell from uh, Techstars. And the other um, VC is uh, McKeever McConnell uh, from Tedco out of Baltimore. So there's a lot that goes on to the in that week, as well as the actual co uh, conference and some fun after parties and you know some VC happy hours and some ways for people to really be able to kind of connect and have conversations. But most importantly, the accessibility, right? Because uh, the reason Black Tech Week exists, and we get that question a lot from people, right? That really don't understand it, or even sometimes are just offended by the, the name Black Tech Week, um, is, you know, we are providing a, a, a space where uh, entrepreneurs of color or creatives or small business owners or students can be able to come and see and, and learn from people that look just like them, that have had very similar paths, um, but then also learn from everyone, because it's an extremely diverse conference. And, you know, I, I often tell people, like, why would you deny yourself the, the possibility of being able to connect with Michael Seibel uh, on the elevator, you know, because of the name of the conference. But it's really something that's open for everyone. But the, the experience and the kind of content is really about celebrating innovators of color um, and hopefully making collaborations happen no, no matter like who you are, or no matter where you were from. And that's what we've seen over the past few years. You know, we've had startup founders being able to meet investors that have gone on to invest in their company because they've made connections at Black Tech Week. We've also had like some of our speakers who've like 
work for like Coca-Cola, like really high up in Coca-Cola, come to Black Tech Week and be so inspired. And like, I'm, I, like I'm putting in my notice and I'm leaving and I'm gonna go launch a startup because of what I was able to experience at the, at the, at the, at the conference. So it comes from all different facets, right? As well as our students that are a part of Code Fever are able to meet mentors and have connections and, and, and experiences that kind of bring it full circle of like the training that they take that takes place in the classroom and now be able to see what that looks like on the other side like what are the job possibilities what are the the career opportunities uh, but then also like you see rappers that have now gone on to launch startups that are was just featured in Forbes magazine like it's, it just literally runs the gamut of the cool experiences that take place but most importantly the increase of deal flow uh, and then shining a light on you know what's going on in in Miami and how this is kind of a connection point to uh, many places across the globe. And and how many years have you been putting on Black Tech Week? Yeah, so we are going into the fourth year of of, of Black Tech Week. Um, Knight Foundation as a founding sponsor of of the conference and has been just a, a phenomenal partner overall. But their founding sponsor. Of, of Black Tech Week, and we're going into the to the fourth year. And how many people do you expect to have attend this year? Yeah, so we expect to grow our numbers. So last year we had about sixteen hundred participants in the entire week uh, from all the programming that took place. Um, I mean, ideally we're looking to like double those numbers, uh, but we'll be somewhere around that, if not a little bit more, uh, for this year as well. That's fantastic. That's phenomenal yeah. growth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, our first year we had just about a thousand participants in the in the entire week. Um, and then, you know, we've just seen growth o- over over the, you know, the past two years. So we're really excited about what's coming up in February. How big is your team that helps you put this together? Because, I mean, I put on a pretty large conference, too. And I know it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's not big enough. <laughs> it like never Ever. feels like it, no, it never feels like it's big enough. Um, but our team, like ramping up to the conference, we have about 23 people that are on our team, um, as far as our core team, and then we have um, usually about 10 to 15 volunteers that help us out as well. And so, it's coming up in a month. So maybe you could give the audience an idea. I mean, you talked generally, and I get they they can obviously sense the energy from your enthusiasm for it and some of the people you name, but is it possible to give them a little bit more specific, like kind of, I mean, not, not down to the hour, but you know, how did the day set up? What's the general agenda look like this year? You know, day one is basically this day two. How, how, what does it look like this year? Yeah. So, so day one for us, um, well actually day one for us is February 6th, which, so it kicks off on, on the Tuesday, um, Monday, we're actually doing the official grand opening of, of the tribe space. So that's mm-hmm. going to be a really fun addition. But the conference kicks off on February 6th. And so that starts with an opening reception that night, um, as well as the VC office hours kick off during the day that take place here in, in the tribe space. So that's, again, an opportunity for entrepreneurs to get like one on one time with VCs that are going to be speaking at the conference. And they're able to like book those book those slots until until we fill up. Um, and then we go into GovEducon. So GovEducon is a new 
a component that we added this year that we haven't had in the past, but just had a lot of conversations around, you know, what does it look like when you are talking with like black led municipalities about the smart cities conversation, which I think for Miami is a really timely conversation because, you know, everyone was, well, not even just Miami, but across the United States, like everyone was scrambling for like this Amazon bid. Right. And you're looking at areas across Miami that are underdeveloped, but that have the space to be able to actually hold a campus like that. And how do we better equip those communities to to bid for those kind of opportunities? Um, But outside of those opportunities, there's just so much that's going on in tech that our government is just like not using to to the best of its ability, whether it's context, whether it's better staffing their team, but then also looking at programs like Code for America and like how they can better, um, you know, aggregate the data that they're collecting because they have so much. And most of our cities that we interface with just don't understand it. Um, But then also policy, you know, like if we're going to attract startups to a specific community, like what policy recommendations can be made coming out of the conference to better equip those communities to better service startup founders and high growth companies, Um, as well as just like K through 12 and like STEM education and kind of ecosystem building and how to make those communities like more competitive and open data and just a lot. Uh, that's taking place during government educon. So um, a lot of government officials, um, people in academia, um, that's kind of like their track during that day. And then the other component of, of Black Tech Week, which spans for about two days, is is called our hustle reunion, right? Because so many people say the conference feels like a family reunion from people that kind of conference hop from CES, like South by. Um, you know, there's just so much that goes on through the year. So we, we kind of deem that part, the, the reunion, which is just really fun. But that's where we get into like the nitty, nitty gritty for startup founders, um, whether they're just starting up or they're more later stage startup founders. There's a lot of content from them from, you know, whether it's like user acquisition and growth from like Everett Taylor, who's like founded a phenomenal uh, tech startup to managing remote teams and then digital content creation and you know what happens like after you sell your startup, right? And after it's acquired, like what do you do next? Like what are the opportunities? Um, digital content monetization, and then we have the pitch competition that I mentioned before that has a really substantial prize. It's a part of that. So um, um, then we have like our founders masters classes. So we've added that this year where we hadn't had it in the past to allow people to get some more intimate time with some of the speakers and VCs that we're bringing, uh, but then just really be able to kind of get into the nitty and nitty gritty. And then some of, some of the other content is around uh, creating diverse startup ecosystems. And, um, and then we have uh, Monique Clark, who has launched like a really awesome, well, not even just launched. I think she's been running the company for about eight to 10 years. Um, and is kind of like a fashion and tech and e-commerce section that's a part of it. And then art of crowdfunding is what closed out, out the day. And then on the last day, we have our women's innovation brunch, uh, that's re- which is a really cool event. We get about 200 women that are a part of that brunch. Uh, last year, we had Catherine Fenney from Digital Undivided, uh, which is an organization out of Atlanta, New York, that has helped uh, African-American women raise, I think, over about $25 million in, in VC funding. Um, and then they also put out the report, the uh, Project Diane, which actually is probably one of the only reports that studies and, and kind of tracks the funding that goes to female founders. Um, and then closing that out on Saturday, which is a lot, right? It's a long week. 
uh, is our, our family tech day that we're doing at the tribe space and then a closing party uh, that's in conjunction in Wynwood um, and a part of like the art walk. Uh, out of curiosity, where is the tribe space here in Miami? Yeah, so it's in, it's in Overtown. Um, the exact address is 937 Northwest 3rd Avenue, uh, but it's right at the intersection of 10th and, and 3rd. So we're literally like less than a five minute drive from the Miami Heat Arena and like right in downtown's backyard. So uh, if I'm coming from out of state, I mean, uh, is this super florida focused is you know if i'm listening because most of our audience is not in the state of florida so if i'm listening in california or new york or wherever why would i come to this from out of state yeah so a a few things you know i can go through like the cheesy uh the cheesy part of like it's cold everywhere like why wouldn't you come to miami during during february oh no actually (laughs) that's that's not cheesy at all would be an excellent selling point to be making right this week right right (laughs) Uh, you know, so, so there's definitely the, that part, but but the other part is, you know, we offer an experience during the the conference that you you just don't see anywhere else. You know, one Miami has such a unique culture. So while the conference is not Miami centric, we do definitely highlight what has taken place over the past five years while Miami's had a concentrated effort on building its startup ecosystem and like what does that take. Um, and then you also look at like how does diversity play a major role in that? And so there's a lot around that kind of programming that takes place in the conference. But furthermore, like you know, one of the things that we pride ourselves on in the conference, which I attend a lot of conferences, and the thing that I hate is I'm going to the conference to connect with a lot of the speakers. And I go to conferences oftentimes, and the speaker is great on stage. You may not be able to ask your question during Q&A. And then they're whisked away to this green room, and you never see them again. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so while we have a green room for, for our, our speakers, because they would kill us if we didn't, mm-hmm. um, we're very, like, we make it very clear that you are not allowed to just, like, banish yourself to the, to the green room and never come out. Like, you're able to, like, literally sit and have lunch with that speaker that you've wanted to connect with or that VC or whoever that person is that's on that stage. Uh, and we pride ourselves on that. And that's one of the key kind of, like, selling points um, that that's a part of Black Tech Week. People are really accessible. You know, like Michael Seibel came and he spoke and we had about 400 people at our opening reception to hear him. And then we had a, a VC ha- a happy hour right after that. And he literally sat and had dinner, you know, and I got a tweet from one of our speakers was like, I'm sharing an Uber with Michael Seibel, right? Like, <laughs> how does that <laughs> and, and that makes the difference between like sitting at your home and putting an application together to get into Y Combinator and or coming to this event and then ended up sharing an Uber for 10 minutes with a one-on-one conversation. So, you know, those are the kind of the collision points that constantly happen at the conference that we kind of go out of our way to make those things happen. Um, oftentimes I tell people that call and they're, you know, they're, they're dealing with a, a certain situation with like their startup. I'm like, look on the website, tell me who you need to make, meet and I'll make sure I make that connection happen because that's what it's all about, right? We don't want people to just come to the conference to be surface speakers. Like we have like a, a pretty intensive email that we send to our speakers when they come on, like you're not allowed to be a surface speaker, like actually get into the weeds of like what your experience was like or how you actually built this, or this is just not the conference for you. Uh, And so those are, you know, from a content standpoint, those are some of the big things that make our conference different. 
um, is being able to connect with those people and really being able to get the insights and the nitty gritty and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly from people that you sometimes, depending on the conferences that you frequent, you may not see these people uh, on those stages, right? From Because of a diversity standpoint and knowing that these could be your next strategic partners, they can be your next co-founders, possibly your next investor. Um, if you kind of cover wherever you are and come down to Miami and be able to experience it. So it sounds like it's just an amazing gathering, you know, of minority entrepreneurs and investors from all over the country at the perfect time of the year to be in Miami. I mean, it makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned that there's significant startup prize money. Out of curiosity, uh, how much prize money will there be this year? Yeah. So the the pitch competition that we're doing with Case is a $10,000 pitch competition. Cool. Yeah, so one winner like takes all. We're not splitting it or like any of that stuff. So it should be really fun. That's awesome. And can people still apply to the pitch competition or applications closed? Yeah. At this point? So the application, as of our taping, the application is not closed. Okay. Um, it actually launches on the fourteenth. Um, that application goes live the fourteenth of January. Okay, and they can apply up till how far in advance of the conference? Um, they can apply up until the twenty first. So the application's open for a week. Okay, and so this show will go live on the fifteenth. So that's very timely. Cool. Um, and you mentioned that Gov Educon is is new this year. What else are you really excited about? That's a little different this year than last year. Um, I'm really excited about that. I'm also really excited about our Family Tech Day. Um, We've always had a a few youth components that were part of the conference. But I, like, you know, it's it's funny where this kind of came about. And I know it sounds, like, really simple. But there's so many events that take place in, like, different startup ecosystems, like, no matter where you are, right? But at Mm -hmm. the same time, when we're talking to entrepreneurs, we're constantly telling them, like, show up as, like, your whole self, right? Or be, like very present. And if you are a parent, it can be really hard juggling, like managing, like, you know, launching and growing your startup. Uh, and then also kind of being out and about in the scene so that you can meet, you know, make connections and, and get your meetings and get the warm introductions, and, like all those different things that you need. Uh, and it, it can be hard sometimes, right? And so sounds, I'm a Sounds like you're speaking role. from personal experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, I, you know, I, I take my daughter a lot of places as much as I, I can, but I, we wanted to create an event where just every, anyone in the startup ecosystem, like, and this is not just for, um, like, minorities, but, like, anyone that's in the startup ecosystem or even if you're traveling with your, with your family and you've been sticking them into the hotel because you want to be able to show up to the conference, like, we wanted to create an event where people can just bring their families. It's a tech-centric event, and we can just have fun. Um, and you can still have business conversations as well as being able to have your kid there, but you can actually be present as your whole self. Um, or, and if you're not a parent, just kind of come and hang out at a very kind of family friendly uh, tech event that we're doing. So usually we do a youth hackathon um, and we give away a cash prize. That's what we've done for the past um, few years of Black Tech Week, but we're changing it up a bit. So, I mean, there's a lot more going on business-wise, but I just that that event is like really near and dear to my heart, and it's something new that we've added in addition to GovEducon. Well, you're uh, like I, as someone who produces the conference, I understand that uh, it's a, really a labor of love. It, I can just sense the passion that you have for the subject, and 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 that you thoroughly enjoy doing this. Is my guess. I do. I do. Um, it's not always easy, though. Like running a conference is like no joke. 
and I'm still kind of traumatized from the first year because I thought we, we thought we could just do it ourselves with our team, which was just like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, um, but it's, it's a lot of work, but when, you know, everyone comes into town and, um, you see those aha moments of people like in the audience, it, it makes it all absolutely worth it. Well, you're probably, in, you know, you're an extrovert like me. You're probably incredibly excited about the opportunity to get gather, you know, everybody together. That gives you excitement. And then also just, you know, seeing so many cool, smart people in one place is really energizing. It is. It is. So uh, it's all week long. Is Do you get different tickets to different pieces of it or you just buy one ticket and go to all? How do your, how do your tickets work? Yeah, so we have a we have a week long pass that gets people into to everything, um, and then we have some of the events are broken down. So if you only wanted to attend um, like the HustleCon, like there's a two day pass for that. If you only wanted to attend the Women's Innovation Brunch, um, which happens a lot for us, like I'm you know women uh, that I work with, whether they're in tech in tech or, or they're out of tech and they're running businesses, they're like, oh Felicia, I no idea how I fit into the rest of the week, but I understand the women's innovation brunch and I'm coming for that. Uh, and so that's a separate ticket that, pe- that, that people can purchase. And then uh, quite a few of the events during the week are, um, are free and open to the public. And so you don't actually need a pass for, for that. You just have to, to register for those events. And uh, so obviously it ranges from free. And if I wanted the all and bells and whistles, let me into everything package, what would that be? Yeah. So right now, um, that that week long pass is two ninety nine, awesome. um, and it goes up the longer people wait to buy their tickets. So it started off at one ninety nine for our early bird tickets. Um, now it's kind of like tier two, which is at two ninety nine at the moment. Um, and then some of our strategic part I'm not a strategic partners, but some of our sponsors um, have like discount codes. So Comcast is a partner of ours. FPL. Um, is a partner as well. Um, like I mentioned, Case Foundation uh, is a partner. Knight Foundation is our presenting sponsor. So a lot of them have uh, discount codes that they're sending out through their email list to, to help people save a little bit more. And uh, if I wanted to learn more about the agenda and ticket prices and all that stuff, where do I go online? Yes, yeah, so our website is uh, blacktechweek.com. Uh, is where you can find the agenda. You can take a look at our speakers. Um, I stress to everyone, like, read the bios of the speakers because some of these people are just, like, freaking – not even some of them. All of them are, like, freaking phenomenal in their own right. <laughs> uh, and then, like, follow us on, like, social media because we, you know, we have a lot of video content that we release just kind of digging in a little bit more on, like, the topics that, that we discuss and then just the really unique stories of either people who have attended the conference in the past um, some of the amazing connections that they've been able to make um, and how they've been able to grow their business. Uh, but then also just the stories behind a lot of the speakers and like why we've chosen them, but then also why they chose to speak at black tech week is equally as important. So do you have, what are your uh, aspirations for this? Would you like it to be the largest mi- minority entrepreneur focused conference in the United States? I mean, do you want to start doing this in other venues around the country? Where would you like to take this? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely wanted to be like to grow into like a South by Southwest kind of conference, you know, mm-hmm. that's, um, and, and I flip flop with that, right? Because I, I've gone to South by for, for years, 
I'm like on their, um, you know, their diversity advisory board and help kind of pick speakers to make sure that their their panels are more diverse. Um, but then I also like very intimate sessions of being able to kind of connect people, right? And so I, I definitely wanted to to grow, um, not just where people look at it as like uh, the the largest minority conference, but like the largest conference, right, of its kind that has these kind of speakers that has this kind of focus. Um, Black Tech Week will always be in Miami. Um, that's our commitment to Knight Foundation. Um, but we started Black Tech Weekend, uh, which is a two-day version of the full conference to take to other cities. So 2018, we're doing 10 cities. Uh, 2019, we plan to expand to um, some more of those cities. And, and then some of the components that we of our programming that we run throughout the year, actually having some permanent president presence with those programs um, in those cities. So for us, it's kind of like we're bringing the conference there, helping to solve some of the some of the issues that these um, these cities have around um, their tech ecosystem and diversity inclusion and kind of the innovation economy. I mean, and some policy stuff. So the the Black Tech Weekend will kind of be a catalyst, kind of kick off that conversation and kind of a convening of that, with the goal of then starting to to work in some of those cities a little bit more permanently. So you are now a multi-event conference producer. We are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if I'd asked you three years ago or four, five years ago, that's what you'd be primarily, you probably would have said no. I was, it would have been more than no. It would have been like a heck no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very cool what you're doing. I've, had, you know, I've, I've gotten to know you a little bit and admired you from afar from what you're doing. And I think this is an awesome event. I'm excited personally to participate this year, and we're happy to – help you get the word out about it because I think it's really cool what you're doing and I actually you know it's great that it's here in Miami and it's good for the South Florida ecosystem but I, I think the benefits of the conference are you know obvious for people from all over the country to come and learn about what they can take back and do in their ecosystems to network with thought leaders in a lot of areas you know it's awesome to come to South Florida in February I mean I, I you know I, I didn't live here until about six years ago and I used to come in the winter all the time for obvious reasons so Kudos to you for pulling together a really cool thing. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, I, I mean, and I love your conference, right? Like, I, I met so many really cool people there, but like, yeah, running a conference is no joke. But like, February is 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 a really cool time to come experience um, experience Miami, and then, like you said, be able to um, be able to take some of the things that you learn and some of the people that that you meet, like back to to your cities and. And so, like my, you know, for overall, so that the United States can just be more competitive, right? Like, I think that's the thing that we're we're struggling with, right? With so many other countries that are um, equipping themselves um, to be very dominant in a number of different areas um, and, and competitive in as far as it relates to the innovation economy. So, I think we play a really small part in that. Hopefully, to play a bigger part in that. But overall, like, how do we make the United States more competitive? Um, as it relates to innovation, and that has a lot to doing to do with like making sure that we're including everyone, right? Everyone in the United States plays a role, um, and how quickly can we equip everyone with the tools and resources and the networks that they need so that we can all kind of rise together, right? Well, you're being very humble. I mean, if you start doing 20 events a year and you know, all over the country, I mean, you're going to pretty soon be touching a lot of people, Felicia, and uh, that's pretty cool. I think it's great that you're pulling the minority community more into the information economy, uh, and I think you're actually having a really good impact, so don't, don't, don't be too humble. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for being our guest, and again, it's blacktechweek.com, correct? 
blacktechweek.com yes all right well uh we're looking forward to being there february 6th through 10th and uh thank you so much for taking time to tell our audience about your the cool things you're doing felicia awesome thank you so much bob have a great day you too bye